Hello, friends, and welcome to the Coastline Baptist Church podcast. We hope this message will equip, encourage, and edify you in your journey of life. We'd love to connect with you. Please email us at info at coastlinecc.org. And for more information about our church and our services, visit coastlinecc.org. Now let's open our hearts and open God's Word. We live lives of guesswork. It seems like no matter how old I get, I'm constantly, it seems like I'm in a zone of guessing. And, and that can get really tiring for us. Always kind of wondering, you know, always, always confronted with situations, you know, is now the right time to fill in the blank? Is now the right time to change jobs? Is now the right time to invest or to sell or to make a purchase? Is now the right time to buy a home? And I think I can say, not really right now, right? <laughs> Although I'm going to have to soon. But is now the right time to get married? Is now the right time to have kids or have more kids? Or is now the right time to further my education, to get a degree? Or to move or to downsize or, or to shift focus? Is now the right time to respond to a certain problem in my life with a certain situation. We're always wondering about timing, aren't we? We're always wondering about timing and, and, and feeling like we're guessing about the timing. I hope this is the right time. I hope this is the right time. And another area that we guess in, and hopefully not believers, children of God, people that know Christ, but there's right now in our world, in our country, in, in, our, in the world as a whole, there is a guesswork about truth. Like, what is true? What is really true? Even the most basic of principles and the principles of life are being questioned today. We live in a world that is trying to, to make truth, the word, you know, truth nothing but what's emotional to us. You know, how I feel. My, you heard the phrase, my truth. It's, it's, it's an individual construct. It's kind of based on how I'm feeling in that moment. And whatever I'm feeling is what's true. And that's something that I've created myself, and that's a lie, because true is true. I mentioned last week, truth is truth. If a doctor comes to you and verifiably diagnoses you with a certain disease, and there's proof, and he, he gives you that diagnosis, you have this sickness, but you don't feel sick, I feel fine. I feel great. Your feelings are irrelevant, because what's true is that you're sick. And we live in a world that is, that is just saturated with, with guesswork of, of, of is now the right time. We flip a coin, we weigh the pros and cons, and, and we put together these major decisions of life based on the flimsiest of reasons and ways. And with that, the, the, our, our, our bedrock of reality to us is, is now in question. All around us, foundational realities are put into question, are being skewed. Things that we, that for thousands of years have just been known to be true. And now they're being questioned. And, and living with that kind of mindset of kind of whatever I feel is true and things like that, that's a formula for living in your own fantasy world. You might as well get a ticket to Disney and live in fantasy land because that's kind of where you're living. Make it up for yourself. It doesn't matter as long as it's true to you. Listen, living that life of guesswork about is now the right time to and questioning and, and making things your truth and guesswork about truth, those two things will lead you and have already led thousands and millions of people to confusion and despair and anger. Guesswork and emotions-based truth. You'll be happy if you imagine this to be true and then live out of it. No, that's not true. That's not true. 
And people try to live that way. Try to change who they are. Or who they were created to be. And they put things into question and, and it leads them to anger and despair and stress, confusion. But what if, what if we could walk through life with someone who has a perfect understanding of timing and a perfect understanding of truth? Now, if you're a Christian, you already know this. And you're like, Pastor, I already know this one. Can I go to brunch now? <laughs> no, no, you've got to stay here and listen because we need to drive our hearts deeper into this. You know who that someone is. I want to read you something. In a world where everything is shifting, and isn't that true? In a world where everything is shifting, you can have a relationship with the creator of all of it, who knows time, who controls time, and understands the timing of your individual life. He knows what you're facing in this moment. He has perfect timing, and he has perfect, absolute understanding of truth. Jesus guides my timeline. Jesus grounds me in his truth. He is truth. So let's jump in. Chapter 6, we've already spent several weeks in it. We know that it started with the feeding of the 5,000 with, with Jesus and all the, it was actually 5,000 men and then with women and children, probably 20,000 people. He had, he had taught them and healed them all day long, all the sicknesses and done these miraculous things and then they were hungry and he fed them uh, five loaves and two fishes and supernaturally materializes food for 20,000 people with leftovers. Amazing. Then he goes to a mountain to pray. His disciples get in a boat and begin to cross the sea. Jesus sends the storm to them, meets them in the storm, calms the storm, brings them back to safety. Then we see at the end of chapter 6 that he begins teaching in the synagogue, telling people he's the bread of life and, and that you know, he is the answer, that he's sent from God, that he is God, and people are having a hard time understanding it. At the end of chapter 6, he starts talking about uh, uh, kind of a symbolic thing about you know, his flesh, eating his flesh, drinking his blood, and people are kind of like, what is this guy talking about? He was talking about his death on the cross. He was talking about him coming uh, to earth to seek and to save sinners, and they didn't get it. And a lot of his fringe followers walked away from him that day. He walked away. And Jesus looked at his 12 disciples that he called and said, are you guys going to leave too? And Peter says, how can we? Where else are we going to go? You are the Christ. You are the Son of God. We, we believe that. And Jesus says at the end of chapter, it's kind of a you know, it's kind of a funny statement, not a funny statement, but kind of a, an odd statement. As Peter says, we believe you, you're the Christ. And Jesus says, have not I chosen you 12, verse 70, and one of you is a devil. Now, that must have scared the guys. Like, whoa, like I do. You know, and talking about Judas Iscariot, who's going to betray him. And we'll get to that later on in the book. And then we get to chapter 7. We get to chapter 7. I want to give you the first point this morning, the first kind of takeaway from uh, the beginning of chapter 7, and then we'll jump into the scriptures. And that's this. I want you to hear this, church. I want you to hear this. If you've got a pen, write it down, because it's true and you need to remember it. Jesus is perfect in his timing. Jesus is perfect in his timing. John 7, verse 1. You should have your John and Romans. Um, I don't have the scripture there because we're reading so much, and we have them right here. John 7, 1. Listen, it says this. After these things... Jesus walked in Galilee. After what things? After all we just talked about, the feeding of the 5,000, the storm, the preaching in the synagogue, the disciples, some of the disciples walking away. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, uh, for he would not 
walk in Jewry, which is Judea, the other part, because the Jews sought to kill him. The closer you got to Jerusalem here in Israel, the more people wanted to kill Jesus. That's kind of how it was. It's kind of like Jerusalem is kind of like our modern-day Washington, D.C., like the, that capital where everything is. There's a lot of political things going on. And the closer Jesus got to Jerusalem, the more the people wanted, there, wanted to kill him. Verse 2, now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. Now, you say, what is a feast of tabernacles? Well, I'm going to tell you. It's, it's not as crazy as it sounds. Now, we don't use that phrase, feast of tabernacles, really at all. But when you hear the word feast, I want you to think of a festival. I want you to think of Thanksgiving or the town fair. New England knows the concept of a town fair, especially around this season, right? There's every weekend there's something going on. There's the, we had the Seaside Festival, what, last weekend? And, and there's always something going on in a certain town and, and a festival, a parade, a, those kind of things. We're in that seat that's all about that. Uh, one of the best ones in New England is the Big E. How many have been to the Big E before? The Big E, yeah, well, I love it. I'm not driving all the way down there now for that with four young kids and that stress of trying to walk through those crowds, but I grew up going to the Big E. I got lost at the Big E once as a kid on a field trip. I was so scared. Oh, I was crying. What about my you know, family? I was playing the teachers, all right? They weren't paying attention. Um, I love the Big E. I love that stuff. Fried dough and, and oh my goodness, the, the big giant bucket of French fries. I mean, that's amazing. I love that kind of stuff. And around this time especially, it's almost like New England is like, you think about it, we're in the fall now. What comes after fall? Winter. It's almost like New England Maybe not as much on the Cape because we get a little bit safer sometime, not last year, but sometimes with winters, but I grew up in western Massachusetts, pretty close to New York, okay? And uh, New England, at this time, it's almost like the end is near. <laughs> the apocalypse is coming. You know, the snowpocalypse is coming, and, 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 and so let's just party while we have time. You know, that's kind of how it seems. It's like this fall time, we just, it's a big party, and there's festivals and all that stuff. So you need to know something. When we're talking about the Feast of Tabernacles, that stuff, that goes back thousands of years when the people of Israel were, were, were in the wilderness and when, when it was just, this is the New Testament. The Old Testament, you've got to remember, God is fun. And God wants you and God wants his people to have fun and to enjoy life. Some people won't believe that. They don't get that. They think God is just this venge, vengeful, wrath you know, filled God that just wants to destroy humanity. And man, God is a God of love, isn't he? Is there judgment? Is there, is, is God a righteous God and a holy God? Yes, he is, but he want, he's fun. He's fun. He's the one that set these feasts up. There are seven different feasts throughout the Jewish calendar. And the, the word tabernacle here, feast of tabernacles, means a tent or a shelter. You know, I don't know if you were, when you were a kid, I would go in the living room and they'd take all the couch cushions off and set them up like a wall and get blankets and sheets. And my mom had them all nice and folded in the linen closet. And I'd take them out and unroll them all and just set them up. And me and my brother and sister, we have this big tent and, you know, all through the table. And you, you take something heavy and probably expensive and you hold it, hold the blanket down on the table and hope it doesn't slide off and smash. And you get like a little TV and you, you know... The, the TVs now are very light. Back then they weren't, were they? they were, you know, you're dragging the TV to the edge of your little tent that you made. You got a little camp out. Love it. And when I, 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 like all, I remember growing up putting a tent in the backyard, camping out in the backyard. And uh, I did it with my boys um, at the house. We bought a new tent. We, we went camping at Nickerson in the summer. And before we went to Nickerson, I said, let's practice. They'd never really camped in a tent before. And we did it in the front yard. Not a blast. Then we went to Nickerson. 
And it was that week in the summer that was the hottest week of all, all summer long. It's like 100 degrees, remember that? Yeah, that was me at Nickerson. One, like every 30 minutes jumping in the van and driving around in the AC because we're about to melt. It was awful, but we had a great time. But how many like camping? How many, how many campers have gotten here? Okay, my wife is more of a glamper. You know what I mean? She likes glamping. And, uh, but she did great, by the way. But, but uh, that, that's kind of what this was. When the people of God, okay, in the Old Testament, when the children of Israel, the Jewish people, the Israelites, when they were, they were wandering in the wilderness, okay, they had, they had served other idols, and then suddenly they're not in the promised land. They're wandering the wilderness for 40 years. And, and at that time, uh, God took care of them. And they lived in tents as they traveled in the wilderness. And God provided for them and kept them safe and took care of them. And this Feast of Tabernacles that we're kind of in this chapter 7 here, that we're kind of visiting here, this Feast of Tabernacles was a time set apart by God. Set apart by God for His people to look back on what God had done for them. They would, they would all meet here in, in Jerusalem and in, this, in Galilee, and, and they'd all bring tents. It was, it was like a big party. And they'd all set up tents, and, and they'd live in tents, and they'd cook, and there'd be a big festival, a big party, and they would look back and remember, they would teach their children, hey, there was a time when your grandfather, great-grandfather, whoever it was, your ancestors, lived in tents in the wilderness, and God gave them manna, and God took care of them. And it was kind of like a symbolic thing, this Feast of Tabernacles, where they would look back on what God had done for them in the wilderness thousands of years before. And by the way, sidebar here, it is very good and important for us as parents to, to teach our children the goodness of God in our lives. Hey, we got some precious new parents here with a new baby here. Awesome, little Matthew. Just give a little pumpkin hat, so thinking, cute, I love it. And uh, it's important as parents that we teach our children about the goodness of God in our lives. It's easy to forget. Because you know, oftentimes what our kids often see, they see us complaining and stressed out about the money not being there, about, you know, wondering where we're going to live in, in three, four weeks. And, and I remember driving with my son just a few weeks back, and uh, the Lord smote my heart and said, man, you've been stressed about this housing situation, and your kids probably think that, you know, you're not teaching them about the goodness of God and how he has provided for you. And I remember sitting there and saying, guys, remember we've been praying for a house to stay? Remember when we were in Michigan? And we were praying that God would help us start Coastline Baptist Church one day. Look what we got now. Look what God did for us. Hey, guys, remember when we were, we were driving on deputation, traveling church to church for that year, 2018, and we were asking God to give us a house, and we couldn't find one, and we couldn't find nothing. And then God gave us a big house on Traders Land. Like, wasn't that great? Hey, guys, remember when we, <laughs> when we were going to lose Traders Land, and God was going to, you know, we were going to move out of there, and we didn't know where we were going to stay? Hey, God gave us a, a place to stay now. And I, I was trying to teach them, like, God is taking care of us. And that's what this Feast of Tabernacles really was all about, looking back on what God had done for them. Verse 3, you can read it in your John and Romans. It says, his brethren, pause, Jesus had siblings. Uh, Mary was a virgin, uh, and Jesus was born of a virgin, and God uh, miraculously did that, where God the father and Mary the mother, and she was, he was born of a virgin. But Mary also married, Mary married Joseph and had children. So Jesus had you can call them half-brothers, brothers, whatever. Jesus had siblings. So Jesus' brethren, verse 3, Therefore said unto him, Depart hence, go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. Thou do these things, show thyself to the world. For neither did his brethren believe in him. 
Jesus' own brothers. This is, they're kind of just mocking him here. Hey, you know, miracle boy. Come on, go to Judea. Who cares? Come on, if you're, why would you hide it if you can do all this stuff? If you're the Messiah, come on, Messiah boy, go and do it. Why would you hide it? If you, if you can do that kind of stuff, anybody would do it. And they're just, they're just kind of mocking him here. They didn't believe him. Jesus was kind of like their nutty older brother. You know, they're, they're that, that crazy. Anybody got a crazy family member? Come on. Don't we all? Don't lie. Come on. It's a church. We all got, you know, uncle so-and-so, aunt so uh, I, I don't say aunt, by the way. I'm from New England. I say aunt. Uh, aunt so-and-so, you know, cousin Mel, whatever. We all have that crazy family. This is this was who Jesus was to his brothers. This nutty older brother. Now, just to encourage you, they didn't believe here in this passage, but later on, before the end of the story, they do believe. Many do. One of Jesus' half-brothers was James, who wrote the letter of James. One of them was Jude, who wrote that letter, that second to last book of the Bible, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, Revelation, who wrote that. So at a certain time, sooner or later, his brothers did believe and say, hey, he is the one. So you got lost family members that don't believe Christ and say, stop telling me about your church. Stop telling me about Jesus. I don't care. Don't give up. Don't give up. You pray, you love, you show the grace of God to that person, to that lost member, and let God and the Holy Spirit of God work in their hearts. Verse number six, then Jesus said unto them, my time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. Now the word world here that he uses, the word world in that, in that verse, is talking about a, a system of thought that is anti-God and that kind of has their own definition of right and wrong. And that's who these people were. The, 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 the world, this system of thought, this, this not a specific group of you know, certain people, but just as a whole, mankind, this group of people that just, they were anti-God and they wanted to make up their own rules and their own things. And Jesus, if Jesus is truth, which he is, and if his words are true, which they were, then it makes sense that all these people would be against him. He says, I can't go there. They hate me. They don't, they don't want me. Why don't they want him? Because he is truth. Because his words go against what they want. His words of truth go against their delusions of truth. Their truth. You know, we're talking about my truth. Their own definition of right and wrong. Jesus is, was, is entering into their world of thought, all these people here in the New Testament. And some believe, yes, but many don't. And also we see, we're going to see later on in the book and in all the Gospels that at some point all of them are like, we don't want them. Kill them. Crucify them. Jesus is entering into their world of thought and he's tearing down everything that they thought they knew and they don't like it. Jesus says in verse 8, Go ye up unto this feast. Uh, I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time is not yet full come. When he had said these words unto them, he abode still in Galilee. But when his brethren were gone up, then went he also up unto the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him, for some said, He's a good man. Others said, Nay, but he deceiveth the people. Howbeit no man spake openly of him for fear of the Jews. Jesus was trending in Jerusalem. He was, he was what everybody was talking about. And some were saying, He's a good guy. And some were saying, Well, he's a deceiver. And he was just... It was a buzz, and it was about him. But no one wanted to openly talk about him, especially in support of him, for fear of the Pharisees, these religious elite people. 
that just, man, they, they were jealous, they were angry. He was tearing down what they thought they knew, making them look stupid, and, and just by speaking truth, and they did not like it. Jesus knew when his time would be, he used that word time, when he would do what he came to earth to do, to die on a cross for the sins of the world, be the ultimate sacrifice for all mankind. He knew that that's what he was here to do. But he also knew, like I told his brothers, that it wasn't right there at this moment. He said, now is not my time to do this. Now, there's two words for time in the Greek language. The New Testament was written in the Greek language. Okay? Now, we have a beautiful English copy of it. That's awesome. That's amazing. But it was written originally in, in Greek. And one thing that's awesome about knowing that is that there's two definitions of the word time in the Greek. And I'm going to share them with you right now. The first one is kairos. The word time in the Greek is, there's one definition, kairos. And that means a season or a purpose of time. The other word for time, the other Greek word for time is chronos. And that means a, a linear time, like a schedule, like an agenda that we'd have. Kairos means living in line and living in sync with God's purpose and meaning uh, and with the season that he has put me in. That's what Kairos means. Cronus means living on my schedule. It can mean, you know, on, on my agenda, on my plan, me trying to get things going. And Jesus, when he uses the word time in this passage, the Greek word that we see in the original manuscripts of the Bible from thousands of years ago is Kairos. Jesus is not saying that I've got a personal schedule. I can't make it right now. I've got things going on. It's not my time. He's not, say, he's not saying I've got an agenda I've got to take care of. No, no, no. He's saying I'm on mission I, I'm, on, I'm, on, I'm living the purpose in the season and the design that was given to me by my heavenly Father. Jesus is living on Kairos time, not Cronus time. How about you? How about me? Can you say that your life, your schedule is centered around Kairos? God's season for you? God's uh, present, unfolding purpose for you? And the meaning that's folded into that purpose? Listen, I'm going to be honest. I don't always like thinking that way. There's so many times that, that, that I want to live on Cronus time. I want to get this figured out. I want to know what's going on. I don't like the season I'm in. We can, listen, we can belong to our Creator in a personal, redemptive relationship. We talk about salvation and giving your heart to Jesus Christ and letting him sanctify you. Listen, what, what's so beautiful is that with the story of the Bible and with, with you know, the beginning of time and creation and all through the Old Testament, the stories, all that pointing back, that, that thin scarlet line uh, uh, that points to Jesus Christ that we see in all the stories, and then the, the gospel, the, the resurrection, the death on the cross, all of this stuff... All of this whole redemptive story. And you know what God did? He wrote you and me into that. That's beautiful. That's amazing. He wrote you into his story. And when you wake up tomorrow and live on your Cronus time, your personal agenda and schedule, you have the option to be living on your time and not his. Doing what you want to do. Now, how easy is it to get or our agenda in focus, what I need to accomplish, what I want to do, what I want to happen, and even spiritualize it sometimes. God, I, I, uh, uh, please answer this prayer. Lord, please do this for me, because this is what I want, this is what I think I need. When it should be God, it should be us saying, God, I want to wake up 
be on your schedule, on your kairos. God, where, where you have placed me right now and what I'm facing right now may not be exactly what I want to face. Does, does anybody identify with this this morning? may not be exactly where I, I want to be. Perfect example, if you've got kids at home, you guys do now, if you've got kids at home, um, you have a Kairos season. A, a primary purpose for you right now is shaping people. There's nothing you do about it. It's just part of your purpose right now. Part of your Kairos, your season. And there's nothing second class about shaping people, about parenting. That's just an example of it. That's part of your season, part of my season. Marriage, the same thing. There have been so many times when, when my Cronus, though, my personal time, it comes into conflict with God's Kairos. My Cronus comes into contact with God's Kairos. And it's like, God, get out of my way. What are you doing right now? Come on. I'm trying to get things done here. And this morning, I implore you to deeply consider that God has perfectly ordered the steps of your seasons in life. Remember that. God knows what you're facing. He knows what you're going through. He knows your season. He puts you into that season. He has a purpose for those seasons. And a, a, a huge part of just being happy and having joy and having peace is just relinquishing to God's kairos. Okay, God, okay, God, if this is your will, if this is where you want me right now, I'll love it. I'll love it. By the way, that's hard to do sometimes. That's tough to do. That takes deliberate faith and courage that can only be found in, by the grace of God. Jesus has a timeline for you in your story. Your best life, your best life is not found in some self-help book. Your best life is on God's Kairos, his season for you, resting in him. Your most liberated, anxiety-free life is on God's Kairos. And the flip side to that is my most difficult seasons, my most stressed out times, uh, my most uh, anxious times are when I'm on my Cronus. But I am trying to figure it out, and boy, oh boy, have I done that, I feel like, the last few months and this past year with just all that's been going on in our lives. It's so easy. It's so natural for us. So often, just trying to get things figured out. and Man, just trying to get things going. When I'm trying to organize, uh, 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 you know, the next 20 steps of my life, you know, I'm burdened. I'm stressful. I'm fearful. I'm missing out on the blessings of the season of God's kairos for me. It's so relieving to step back and by his grace and by counsel in my life, I've, I've been able to do that in some areas of just stepping back and, and putting the timing in God's hands to simply say, God, just let me know what to do next. Well, the, the, you know, the, the, the next right thing. Let me know what to do next. Not the next 20 steps, but God, just new day, what would you have me to do? I'm on your Kairos. I'm in this season for right now. You have me here for a reason. It's been out of my control. 
You've placed me in this season for such a time as this. What do you want me to do next? I want to live now. I want to live in your season. And when I don't know what to do, when I don't know what to do, I wait on God. And, and, and I'll challenge you, when you don't know what to do, wait on God. Just wait. Don't rush. Try to figure it out. Try to make something happen. Wait on God. The principle that you must and will live by if you choose to live in God's kairos in those seasons of life. Instead of trying to live in that personal Cronus schedule, I'm going to get everything organized out, nothing's going to go wrong, and it always does. When you choose to live in God's kairos in the seasons of life, the, the principle that you must and will live by is waiting. Just waiting. Don't do the wrong thing. Wait on God. So we saw that Jesus is perfect in his timing. And this last one, we'll continue more about this next week. But Jesus is also perfect in his truth. He's perfect in his timing and he's perfect in his truth. I'm going to summarize the next few verses because there's so many of them. And we've we got to be out of here, actually. Jesus is speaking truth that they don't want to hear from verses like 14 to 37. He's just speaking truth they don't want to hear about him being the bread of life. He's God. He, he, he's the Savior. He's the Messiah. And they don't want to hear it. They won't respond to it. So many things. They, they, he starts talking. They're like, hey, where'd you go to, you know, what, what letters do you have? Where'd you, where'd you go to school? Like he's telling them like some big truth. I'm the Messiah. I'm God. I'm the Son of God. And they're just like, hey, where'd you go to school? Like they're just totally missing it. And then he says, this is why you want to kill me. And they're like, oh. We don't want to kill you. Who said we want to kill you? And then literally like 10 verses later, he keeps talking, and then someone else comes up and says, hey, isn't this the guy that they want to kill? <laughs> they're just, they, don't, they just won't respond to his truth at all. We're going to dive more into the passage next week. And before we dismiss this morning, I want to leave you with just like, just a few takeaways and we're done. Okay? Jesus is operating, and hear this, church, hear this. Jesus is operating on a timeline in my life that I can trust. Believe that. Jesus is operating on a timeline in my life that I can trust. It may mean some heavy surrender, but that's the wisest path. The kairos of God, the seasons of life. Jesus is going to, and this second takeaway, Jesus is going to confront me all throughout the course of my life. As he walks with me, he's going to confront me with my own avoidance of truth. Because just like these people in the passage, oftentimes we try to make our own definition of truth, what we want to be true. And he's going to confront me. Jesus, in grace and in love, is going to come to me as he walks with me and confront me with my own avoidance of truth. He's going to be my friend. He's going to be my savior that puts the truth right in my face. And I have to reckon with it. He's going to do that to you. I'm going to have to repent, accept him for who he is. He's king. His truth is more important. His truth is the actual truth, not what I think it is. And the outcome of that is this. When, when you surrender to the season, when you surrender to the Kairos, you will walk through this life with someone who has perfect understanding of timing and truth. When you surrender to that season, and stop trying to organize and figure it out on your own. When you surrender to that kairos, that season that, that God has put you in, you will walk through this life with someone, with him, with Jesus, who has perfect understanding of timing and truth. You will be grounded. 
You will be at peace. You will have real, lasting joy. You'll be a, a happy individual waiting on your God to guide your steps and to anchor you in truth. That's the God we have. So surrender to that Kairos today. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. No one's looking around. How many would say, Donald, this, I'm, I'm going to be straight up honest with you this morning. Uh, I, I've been someone that's, that's trying to live on my Cronus. I've been someone that's trying to figure things out, organize things, figure my life out on my own time, on my own schedule, my own Cronus. That's me, Donald. I've been trying to do that. Raise your hand up so I can see Anybody? My hand's up. Thank you, thank you, thank you, all of us pretty much. Now, how many would say, but I want that to change today? By the grace of God, I want to surrender to his Kairos, to that season, the season that I'm in right now. I may not love it. I may not like it. I may not understand why I'm going through this season, why I'm facing this challenge, why I have to deal with this. But God knows, and he is with me. And pastor, pray for me that I'll surrender to that Kairos. Is anybody like that? Thank you. Take a moment. Take, take just 60 seconds. And I'll shut up. I'll stop talking. You talk to God. You talk to Him. You surrender to His Kairos. Thank you again for listening to the Coastline Baptist Church Podcast. We hope the message was an encouragement to your heart. Please connect with us through our website, coastlinecc.org, or on Facebook or Instagram. Send us a message, send us an email, and we'd love to connect with you. We'd also love if you could visit us for a Sunday morning service. You can find our address on our website, and our services start at 10 a.m. Our mission at Coastline is simply this, to know Jesus deeply and to show Jesus daily. I hope that we've helped you do that in your life today. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.